0: Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. I am Pranay and today I have with me Sarthak, And we are going to discuss this idea about how to do more global manufacturing in India. Now there is this idea that people are now calling this term gated globalization. The whole idea being that as a result of what's happened because of COVID-19, it is going to exacerbate this idea that global supply chain should have more redundancy and they should not be so overly dependent on one country, which is China. So the whole idea is uh, that then all these companies will start looking at alternate countries, alternate locations where they can do some part of their manufacturing so that if there is a repeat of an incident which stops their access to China, they can use these other alternate supply chains. So that was the aim. And then there's an opportunity arising out from there, that given that if there is some relocation of the supply chains from China, can India make use of that? And can India transplant some of that into its own areas? So to discuss that with me, I have Sarthak. Hi Sarthak. Hi Vranay. So Sarthak, let's begin uh, with this. This idea is not uh, new, right? There are other countries also which are trying to take advantage of this fact that we need to have more redundancy in global supply
2: chains. Can you give a few examples of yeah. that? So yeah, this is not something new. China has a very significant position in the global value chain and Because of this present pandemic outbreak, uh, what we witness is companies are finding it difficult to source intermediate goods. They are finding it difficult to source final products as well. Different countries, they are now trying to diversify their supply chain. So, for example, Japan recently announced that if any Japanese, Japanese company is shifting its base from China to Japan, they will be providing some sort of financial assistance. And if they are shifting their base out of China, not only to Japan, then also they will be providing some sort of financial assistance. So they have announced a $2.2 billion for that. Uh, one thing, uh, Pranay, I would like to point out, this is, as you had also mentioned, that this is not something new. This thing has been going on for a while. I mean, even before uh, the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, because of the US-China trade war, Back then, also some companies had been trying to shift their waste. They had been there had been discussions for that. In fact, countries like Vietnam had targeted had were able to acquire some of these companies back from China. So it is something not new, and this this COVID nineteen outbreak has intensified uh, this thing. Right, uh, that's uh, true. are
0: the one more important reason for this was the increasing labor costs in China itself. So there was. A need from that angle as well. Given that labor costs are rising, can countries, uh, can companies shift to countries which have slightly l- lesser labor costs? And that's where countries like India, Vietnam, etc. have an opportunity. And just to give an idea about China's role in the global manufacturing uh, system, China exports around 2.7 trillion of manufactured goods. That's like almost the entire GDP of India, right? So that's what they export every year in goods. And uh, if we can uh, assume that over the next three years, about uh, 25% of this, that is around 0.7 trillion, might go outside China, if we assume that. And if India even sets its sight on capturing just about 20% of this 0.7 trillion opportunity, Uh, we can add up to 4-5% to of uh, India's GDP, you know, so that's like significant benefit, and we are not even counting the multiplier effects. So this becomes, this is the reason why this particular opportunity is an unmissable one and something that India
2: should concentrate on. And on top of that, uh, because of this uh, outbreak, we have realized that a lot of our sectors are dependent on China for their imports. And if you are dependent on China and we do not uh, diversify the risk, if you did not develop our own capacities, again, we might face the same problem. For example, uh, if you look at the automotive sector, specifically the auto component sector, 27% of our imports is from China. If you look at the pharmaceutical sector, 65 to 70% of our APIs the key ingredients, the raw material for our drugs imported from China, 45, percent of our consumer durables, they're imported from China. Also our energy sector, specifically the solar power sector, uh, again, heavy dependence on China. So not only there is an opportunity, it might also be a situation that it might also be a uh, thing that we have to do. We are compelled to do. Right.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm sure this is something similar that many other countries are facing. Uh, Not just India, because uh, China is such a dominant player in manufactured goods, it has great comparative advantage there. So, all these countries are trying to find out mechanisms to build more resilience and uh, not be taken aback by shocks like they have been in the current instance. So, we talked about what Japan is doing. Now, let's shift the focus to India. So, what should India be doing, Sarthak? Let's discuss a few ideas that uh, India can actually implement in order to take uh, advantage of this
2: opportunity? See, first thing, I mean, we need to change that perception that is there for India, that we are not an investor friendly destination, there are different kind of uh, hurdles, regulatory hurdles, etc. We need to somewhere work around that we need to address that. So, move from regulation to facilitation. So right now, we have some investment promotion agencies, facilitation agencies, but they are mainly focused on providing information and marketing services. We have to go beyond that. Uh, The key performance indicator of the primary investment promotion agency is the Invest India. Now, they need to focus on not only providing information and marketing services to these investors, they should also ensure that uh, these guys, they are able to pass all these, they are able to clear all these regulatory hurdles. Uh They should be ensured uh, land clearances. And apart from that, other different after-investment services should also be provided. Uh, for example, there can be different kind of uh, operational services and administrative services that we need to uh, provide to them. For example, getting work permits, work permits for spouses, how to make all these things easier. Uh, sometimes there might be requirement uh, uh, for collaborating with the government for uh, planning for transportation. So these kind of services also needs to be easily provided to them. Some, some operational activities also equally important. For example, providing different kinds of utility services, power and all this is very, very important for investment. So the investor should come, the other things, other, whatever requirement is there should be directly provided to them through different mechanism. These promotion agencies, can charge a fee for that, maybe a part of the total investment percentage of that investment. But this should be all these things should be provided to them. Right.
0: Uh, Actually, uh, even before that, I would say the uh, zeroth point of this is we should not block any investment coming into India at this point. So for example, the FDI norms currently it is being made even stricter. Uh, and especially the uh, rules were recently changed so that any investment uh, or any FDI coming into any sector in India from China will uh, face more scrutiny and will have to go through the government approval route. Uh, And the reasoning given was that they want to stop opportunistic takeovers. So that I think is counterproductive in the current scenario where investment is really the need of the hour and it Government of India will also not have investments. Indian private companies are also struggling. So it's important that we make it easier for our country, including
2: China, to invest in India rather than creating additional hurdles for us. Exactly. So, this regulation uh, did not mention China, but mentioned all the countries which are bordering India. Indirectly, it hindered at China. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure we don't have a
0: problem with yeah. Nepal or Bhutan <laughs> taking over Indian companies. So, it's clearly mentioned uh, for China, but yeah. they try to be too smart and say that
2: you know, all countries sharing a land border with India have a problem. Yeah, so rather than having country-specific rules, what you can have is you can decide, okay, these are the key issues. Uh, for example, data security might be an issue. So you can identify these issues. Then FDI, whatever you're getting, can impact this, then you should not have investment or you can have some regulations on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and we already have that, right? We have yeah. several routes and... Uh, the FDI restrictions are very strict for areas which are deemed to be strategically important. So, for example, setting up of a nuclear power plant is not something that uh, every country can invest in in India. But uh, th- investing in an edtech startup which is based out of Bangalore shouldn't require government approval. That's going yeah. to even turn out investor. Right? So, that is one point. Right? The second one point I have, uh, Sarthak, to add to this facilitating the environment for investors is to create something called this global in-house center approach. So now this is something which uh, we written on our newsletter. Uh, uh, me and my co-conspirator uh, Raku had written about it. So uh, this global in-house centers are basically, uh, in, they follow this insourcing model in the services sector, right? So the whole idea is that uh, now companies, big service sector giants, are able to set up their uh, global in-house centers within India and a s- different set of rules apply to those global in-house centers. Okay? They are ring fence zones where the set of laws, the set of guidelines that apply are slightly different. They have more freedom. They have more freedom in uh, uh, getting global employees. Like you were mentioning, that is a problem, right? To get uh, uh, permission for people to work out in within India. So all those things are relaxed. Uh, there is lesser friction in importing uh, uh, items there is lesser friction in exporting services from those areas so that is a something which we can take out from the services playbook and apply to the manufacturing region as well and we can create response zones where global manufacturing companies can also work under a set of guidelines which free them from this wide array of uh, very a- antiquated uh, economic and labor laws which exist. So, this is actually mentioned there by Arvind Panagariya also in his recent book, uh, India Unlimited. And he talks about this creation of autonomous employment zones uh, where all powers to frame laws of economic engagement will rest with the local administration. Okay, So, they will uh, allow companies to get out of this maze of uh, old industrial and labor laws, and they will allow them to uh, do this much quicker and give them more freedom. And we don't have to look at any other experience in any other country. India has done that in its own IT and BPO sector. And I think it's time to transplant this to manufacturing as well.
2: Speaking about uh, laws and guidelines, uh, one, another challenge we face in the Indian context is policy uncertainty. Now, hmm. there might be an MOU at present with the state government and maybe the government changed and the new government might come up with its own set of rules, guidelines, laws. So Yeah, it happened in Andhra Pradesh. Already. Yeah, it's the Amravati project. So, uh, the the new government, they cancelled all the deals they had with the Singapore Consortium, which was going to develop uh, Amravati. Now, this is also going to be another issue and we need to address it. How do we ensure that we create a certain environment for private sectors to participate? Now, this uh, is something, again, controversial. And uh, one thing that we can possibly think of is uh, governments when they are, state governments specifically, when they're asking for investments or whenever they're signing the MOUs, uh, they should be ready for international arbitration in case there is any dispute. The, the present mechanism of uh, enforcement of contracts uh, takes a lot of time. On an average, some three to four years is to resolve these kind of disputes. Our courts are not uh, good enough or they do not have the bandwidth to resolve these things. So, uh, since it prevents investor from uh, taking a call to invest in India, we possibly need to improve investor confidence and maybe we can go ahead with these mechanisms like international arbitration.
0: Yeah. So, uh, that's an important point, Sartak, because uh, yeah, the there is policy uncertainty, uncertainty in grievance redressal, uh, which really turns away investors. So, for example, I think Swaminathan Iyer had a very good article where he was talking about how when investors try to... Uh, set up investment into India, the risk is actually not India. So In India, we have this feeling that, oh, if they if a Chinese investor is setting up things in India, it will be a security risk for uh, our country. But uh, he writes that given the policy uncertainty and the uh, whole lot of arbitrary rulings that we've had, the ac- actual risk belongs to the investor. And they are taking a huge amount of uh, risk in doing anything with respect to India. So we need to set that balance, right? And one way to do that is to address this uh, problem of uh, judicial uh, uh, mechanism. So uh, like we had the case with Vodafone, we had retrospective taxation and things like that, right? So in order to move away from that, what India can do is to agree that, uh, when such contracts happen those uh, let's say the state x uh, agrees for a contract and rfp by another company a global manufacturing giant that contract will be arbitrated under uh, uh, international uh, by an international arbitration court uh, the laws that are applicable uh, will be indian laws but they will be adhering to uh, international, uh, agreeing to arbitration under international court. So that can help uh, sort of uh, lessen the investor fear which currently exists. Yes, exactly.
2: And uh, what do you think about the land and labor reforms that is required? One of the Major criticism is, uh, again, uh, we haven't had land reforms. Acquiring land is a major hurdle. Uh, Labour reforms are also something which has been in the back burner for a while now.
0: Yeah, that's true, Sarthak. I think labour reforms will be a tough challenge in the current environment, uh, given that labour reforms essentially means making hiring and firing of people easier. But it will be a politically different thing to sell at this point uh, given that there is a situation of unemployment. But I think uh, labor is still not the biggest problem in India, given that the labor costs are still low. So if you are a global manufacturing giant and you want to move uh, your base away, you would look at the labor costs and those labor costs are still low uh, in India. So that is fine. But the other the bigger problem is the land uh, right. So, Sarthak, what
2: can be done about the land? Uh, so, so, before we go to land, one thing uh, related to labor. Uh, labor costs are definitely much less as compared to China. Uh, but one thing has to be pointed out that we have a huge pool of population who do not have the right skills for the market. So, this is something that we need to address. Uh, maybe we will be not able to address it in the short term, but in the medium term, we have to address it. The first thing that we need to know is what is the extent of skills our labor force has. Then only we can build on the incremental skills. So skill data, skill statistics is very important. And we have to find ways by which we can promote skills. And we have been providing skills through different government mechanisms, different skill development schemes have been there, but they have not been very successful. On the other hand, what we experience or what we have seen in the IT sector is there the skills have been provided by different private players for example niit and we have been extremely successful there so we need to find ways by which we can leverage the expertise uh, that the private players have they have an idea what how the sector is going to change over next uh, uh, next decade, next 10 years 15 years they are imparting the skills it will be better now coming to the land uh, land acquisition issue now again it is not something which can be resolved immediately But one of the medium-term solution can be uh, states acquiring land banks or they creating land banks. Now at present, what happens is states will sign MOUs. State governments will sign MOUs with private players, investors, and when they would have signed the MOU, they would not have the land with them. So they will say that okay, we will provide you or we will facilitate acquisition of 100 acres of land or 1,000 acres of land. But though that amount of land will not be ready. So MOU you have signed, but you then go ahead with the process of land acquisition and you face different hurdles. And there have been instances, the most prominent being POSCO, where they tried for some 10 years and they could not acquire land and finally they had to exit. And because of land acquisition hurdles, there are many stalled projects as well. So one way we can possibly resolve it is states start pulling the land, uh, even before you are getting an investor, try to acquire whatever land is there Maybe non-arable land, wasteland, and so you have that thing with you. You have a portfolio of land with you. Whenever there is a private investor, you can give them this option that okay, these are the possible land banks. These are the land banks where you can invest, and it's up to the investor. Right. That is that will help uh, again
0: in uh, removing this uncertainty which exists about land, and given our past experience, uh, the next point, Sarthak, is about clearing some supply chain bottlenecks so again our uh, logistics chain is quite inefficient and inefficient inadequate physical infrastructure uh, we also have very stringent local sourcing norms so these create like really uh, problems in the supply chain constraints so uh, what we can do in on that is something we can discuss. So one whole idea is about making movement of goods easier within India itself. So for example, China has deregulated uh, transport by moving away from check posts and the permits regime. So uh, India is moving towards that with the, the GST, etc. But we are still not there. So we need to rely on uh, self-declaration by assesses uh, and you know use that to uh, make it easier for us to move goods within the country. so This will be required for all global manufacturing companies, right? Let's say they have a a new setup in Samand in Gujarat and they need to transport it to a port. Uh, We need to transport it to JNPT in Maharashtra. We need to be able to uh, do this movement from Gujarat to Maharashtra in a much quicker manner. So that's why this uh, making movements of goods within India is important. The second one is slightly uh, difficult to do in a short time, of course, which is improving the physical infrastructure itself. So improving logistics network, maybe improving our ports, our port handling capacity is pretty poor. So that will take some time, but uh, there can be some commitments made on that front. The third one is something which we can do immediately and that is transitioning to a low import duty regime. So, this is slightly counterintuitive. Uh, So, we might say that we want all global manufacturing to happen in India and they should also source everything that they want from India as well. Now, that is not going to happen under the current circumstances. So, uh, global firms which move out of China already have an optimized well, global supply chain of uh, you know their suppliers of intermediate goods so they are unlikely to change all elements of this supply chain together so what we can do is reduce import duties such that they can continue to buy from across the world while manufacturing in india so uh, you know we don't need to restrain buying from abroad in order to uh, get them to make in india So we can also sign a trade agreement with US, Japan, and ASEAN countries uh, to transition to a lower import tariff regime, and that will give confidence, uh, optimize the supply chain for global manufacturers as well.
2: Exactly Pranay, you have rightly pointed out all these three things that needs to be done when it comes to supply chains. And a few things I would like to point out, see when it comes to ports. Uh, our capacity is, uh, cargo handling capacity in the ports is quite low. Uh, very few of them are efficient. If you look at the top 50 ports, uh, the effic- uh, if you look at the top 50 ports in terms of efficiency, only one port from India is there, the JNPT port. And mm-hmm. uh, if you look at uh, the air cargo handling capacity, that also is something we lack. And air, can- air cargo handling capacity is also important specifically for uh, goods which are, low volume but high in value uh, specific medical devices and all these things. So, uh, air cargo handling capacity and port facilities. Uh, air cargo dwell time is very high. Uh, for some of our airports, it can be in terms of days. While in some international airports, it is in terms of hours, 2-3 hours. So, we need to improve on all these things. Also, we have to ramp up our warehousing facilities. Even if you have road networks, we need to invest in the logistic sector. So one example is uh, have multimodal logistic pass. This is something which the government has also been considering they have started it, but we need to accelerate it further.
0: Right. Yeah, that's true. I have one more thing from the geopolitical angle that India can do is uh, to use the current uh, geopolitical environment to our economic advantage. So for example, there is the US-China confrontation, which looks structural and might continue. So, And there is a, a formation called the Quad uh, with Japan, Australia, India, and the US. Uh, currently, it is somewhere half military, half economic, n- not going anywhere. But if we can move the agenda of the Quad uh, from focusing only to, only on security to uh, focusing more on economic issues, then it will be good for India because then these four big economies can think of uh, strengthening their economic ties. Uh, there can be more investment, for example, from Japan into India. Uh, India can supply labor to Japan. So, there are a lot of opportunities which can open up through this political route of the Quad. And then it will help all these countries in the sense that it will uh, build resilience to Chinese uh, supply chains as well. That is one more way that India should look ahead. Any other ideas, Sartak?
2: Yeah, I think these are the key points. I mean, we have have to improve on the regulation to facilitation bit. We have to reduce policy uncertainty. We need to have these autonomous investment zones. We need to develop our uh, labor force so that they are able to fit into these manufacturing units. And land reforms, we need to focus on creating land banks. And lastly, we need to ensure that the supply chains are intact. And again, some sort of international cooperation will also help. So I don't think anything else is uh, we can add here. Yeah, I
0: think that is it. So one major lesson from all this is that India should look it as an opportunity that there will be uh, companies which will try to diversify their supply chains. And there are Uh, We outlined some of the measures, I'm sure there are many more other ideas as well, uh, which can be utilized and this is the opportunity for India to quickly put some of these into action so that the global manufacturing, at least a part of it can move to India. Otherwise, it will move to other countries which are also playing the same same game like Vietnam and uh, Thailand and other countries. So, That's it, Sartak. Thanks for joining. And if you have any other ideas, suggestions, please write in to us. Thank you.
1: If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at ivmpodcasts.com on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our
2: website takshashila.org.in.